pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, please speak to us this morning. By your Spirit, wherever we are, whatever is going on in our lives, Lord, speak to our hearts and our minds, encourage us, challenge us, change us to be more like Christ, that we might live kingdom first in every area of our lives. We ask this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Please be seated. One year ago, we began a study. And it was a study that, for me personally, was challenging. Uh, it was enlightening. Um, it was, in some ways, a little bit embarrassing. We started studying the kingdom of God. And part of the reason for me that there was some embarrassment is I went through four years of seminary, got a master's degree in New Testament. I started a doctorate in spiritual formation and went all the way through that process up to the writing of the dissertation. And yet, with all of that and with... See, I started ministry in 1999. Whatever that is, 18 years of ministry, I still did not grasp how significant the kingdom of God was. I did not grasp how pervasive it was. I skipped over things like, you get to the end of Paul's ministry on record in Acts, and he spends two years preaching and the summary of his preaching is, he preached the kingdom of God. Like, I just, I read right over that. It just never kind of sunk in how significant this idea of the kingdom of God was. Then I go back and start looking at the life of Jesus, and every significant moment, he talks about the kingdom, including what we just read. That passage in Mark is a summary of how Jesus begins. His baptism calls him into ministry. The Lord sends him into the wilderness where he's tested. And when he comes out, this is the message that he is preaching. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, he's beginning his ministry, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. That is the summary statement of what he preaches in every single gospel. As he goes from town to town. And do you know what he tells his disciples when he sends them out? To preach that the kingdom is here. How do you miss that? With all of the ministry and the seminary, how do you miss that? But I did. And I felt very convicted about it. And so one year ago, we started a series, Studying the Kingdom of God. Not just the kingdom that's to come. Not that way out there future thing that we think of. But right now. That Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. He said, if I'm healing people and casting demons out, the kingdom of God is here, right now. And so for one year, that's what we studied. However, 
we can't stop there. We can't just study this and make it one more topic. Even if it is interesting, even if it is something where there were points where you went, oh, I didn't know that. Well, that's kind of cool. We, we have to keep going. This, in my mind, is the identity of Redemption Church. To live kingdom first. And so I wanna begin today to talk about that vision. What does it mean if we are to live kingdom first? And from this point forward, that is our identity, that's our message, that's our mission, is to live kingdom first. January 9th of 2007, man got up in front of a large crowd of folks and he said these words, today, today Apple is going to reinvent the phone and here it is. And he held up this little tiny phone that at the time was freaking amazing. We will reinvent the phone. Now, 10 years later, can you believe it's only been 10 years? I mean, can, can you remember a time where you didn't have your iPhone or your smartphone, whatever it is? And yet, what has happened? On that phone was a GPS. How many of us use GPSs on our phones now? I mean, you used to have to buy that separate thing. Now it's your phone. Um, how many of us actually make phone calls regularly now? How many of us text? They, they, I mean, they changed the way we utilize it. It was actually a revolution. Um, and it is so, I mean, I don't even have an alarm clock anymore. I have my phone. I don't have a calendar. I have my phone. I mean, there, there's so many things that have changed because of this right here just 10 years ago. One of my favorite parts about this is he was trying to show the actual ability of it to make phone calls. Um, there were so many other cool things about it. Um, he made some great jabs at those phones that had those keyboards on them. Um, but he made a phone call to Starbucks on stage in front of everybody. And he called and they said, hello, you've reached Starbucks. Because he was showing the GPS. He was showing, oh, look, here's a Starbucks. You can click on it. There's the number. You can call it. And he said, I'd like 4,000 lattes. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> but Starbucks used that. And it became part of a marketing thing at that point. But it revolutionized things. And there were people who didn't believe him at the time. Especially people who were, you know, using Blackberries and things. They were saying, it's never gonna work. It can't have that kind of impact. This thing is gonna die off like everything else. When Jesus came and he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, change, turn from the way you're living now and believe the good news. 
it was a revolutionary statement. It was not meant to give us one more theological concept to talk about. It was not intended so that he could then form some groups and we'd fight about different things and we'd go, oh, theologically it means this, this, and this. He was trying to change lives. That repentance was a, we're walking one direction. The kingdom of God is here now. I want you to turn. I want you to live differently. I want a radical change in your life that can change all the lives around you. That's what he wanted. So what does it mean to live kingdom first? Not believe kingdom first. Not talk about kingdom first or argue about kingdom first. What does it mean to live it? I wanna talk about three things today. Three pillars. I want you to think of this is living kingdom first here, and it's big. Hey, there's a whole bunch of things that, that entails, but I want to talk about three core ideas that uphold that. Three core things that we can live into where we would be living kingdom first, right? Number one, believe in the king's love. Believe in the king's love. Now, that may seem really anticlimactic. I'm talking about some revolutionary way of living, and, you know, I start off with that. Don't we all know that? Here's the thing. I am not sure, number one, that we really internalize what that means. And number two, I'm not sure we understand how pervasive it is. Um, I want to give you, if you were to go into the scriptures and you would start looking at God's love, here are some things that you would see. Right? When God gives his name to Moses, not the I am, but the explanation in Exodus 34, at the heart of the explanation of who Yahweh is, is his steadfast love. And it will become a phrase you see throughout the rest of the, the Old Testament. His steadfast love. When God talks about the reason that the Israelites are his people in numbers, it is because of his love. Not because they did something great, not because they're good looking and you know, they are good athletes, it's because of his love and his love for their fathers. If you go into Ezra and you look at the reason that God rescued them from the exile, it's because of his love. If you look at the Psalms, when they cry out and they're asking for God to do things, they, they situate that in his love. It is why Jesus says in John 15 that he laid down his life. And it is why he says the Father sent him in John 3. It's because God loved them. It is specifically in Ephesians 1 why we were chosen, in love. It is also the reason Paul says in his letter to Timothy that he, Paul, even though he persecuted the church, this is why God picked him, because he loved him. It is all rooted in love. 
And there's a prayer in 1 Thessalonians 5 where Paul says, I'm praying that your hearts would be directed to the love of God because it is the foundation of everything else. Let me tell you what happens when you move outside of that as your foundation. Your service for God will move from a desire to serve him to a duty when it gets outside of love. You will go from, instead of bearing up under something, you will go to griping, complaining, wondering if God even cares when you move outside of his love. His love has to be the foundation. It has to be the thing that we rest on because that love is where we can gain our confidence. Um, my kids... My love for my kids is different than my love for my wife, okay? And here's what I mean. I fell in love with my wife over time. It was not, and please forgive me for this, it was not love at first sight. At least not marriage love at first sight. I didn't see her in one moment and go, that's it, for the rest of my life I'm marrying you. Done. I think that took three days, babe. Is that right? <laughs> you see, I had to, I, I learned to love her, and somehow she learned to love me. I'm not sure how that happened, but it was, it was interactions. It was conversations. It was things we did for one another. It was sacrifices that we made, and we grew in love. That's not how I came to love my kids. I was, they were born and that's it. I love you, period. And you know what? When you screw up, when you fail, can I tell you that one of my kids is kind of weird? I know none of you can experience that, but I've got one kid that's really weird. Um, and he likes it, actually. He kind of plays with it. But you know what? It's my kid. Your kid may be weird, not mine. My kid's my kid. I love that kid no matter what. That's the love that God has. And do you know how that impacts my kids? And this is the part I want you to see. I, my child yesterday, he's going up the stairs and he wounded himself. I mean, I think it was a mortal wound based on how he was screaming. <laughs> on a carpeted stairway. But what did he want when he was hurt? Me. Daddy, please come up here. I need help, you know? He's crying out now. I can't make the boo-boo go away. But he knows I'm daddy, and he wants me, or he wants mama. My daughter, who is terrified still of storms, they freak her out. And so when there's a storm, my daughter, who's 11 years old, she comes downstairs, and she makes this little bed right next to my side of the bed, and she lays down and goes to sleep. Well, she did that last night, which woke me up, and I thought, that's weird. I don't remember a storm. I don't know what is going on. Why is my daughter in here? Well, this morning, I'm sitting outside. She gets up. She walks out. She sits down next to me. She says, Daddy, I have to tell you about my nightmare. Because it was so bad that I feel like if I don't tell you, I don't know if it's going to go away. And it was pretty awful. Like, I don't know what my daughter's been watching. Honey, what are you 
But I mean, it was, it, it was a bad dream. I get it. But where did she go? She went to us. Like, she knows somehow. Like, we can't make all the bad stuff go away, but she knows she needs to be with us when it's bad. She knows she is loved. Right? That is the kind of love that God has for us. And we have to embrace that. One of our pillars is to believe in the king's love. Because without that, what I'm gonna talk about next, I guarantee you, it will never look the way God wants it to look. If you don't have that love part down, the rest of it will be impacted. We are called, if we're gonna live kingdom first, to actually believe that when God says, but God so loved the world that he gave his son, that that act is an act that says, I love you in the same way that you love your kids. I love you in a way where I didn't fall for you, so I'm not gonna unfall for you. You didn't do something. I just love you. Will you come to me when the storms are coming? When you have the nightmares, when you have the boo-boos, will you come to me and trust? See, that's our confidence to live kingdom first is his love. But that leads into number two. And again, when I say it, I'm pretty sure you're going to be like, oh, that's it? Like, I've heard that. Like, my entire Christian life, I've heard that. Live the king's will. He is a king after all. He reigns. There's an obedience factor in here. And so you have this idea, believe the king's love. Start there. But out of that, out of the confidence I can gain from that, live the king's will. Orient your life to his will. Let it direct you. Let it guide it. Let, you, let that be your path. Now, here's where I need to step back and explain something really, really significant. I am not talking about God's will for your personal life in a particular situation. I'm not talking about the way that quite often we think of God's will, which is, well, something didn't happen. Oh, but there's a sign over here. Oh, it must have been God's will. Or should I take this job or this job? Should I do this car or this car? Should I put my kids in private school or public school? Should I move here or move there? We've got all these things that we're thinking, this is God's will. Let me tell you, predominantly in Scripture, God's will is never about being found so much as it is being lived. You see, the Scripture, this, is most often what is being talked about when we talk about God's will. What is already revealed to us, not the things we're searching for, not the things we're spending so much time and energy going, I don't know if this is it or not, and oh wait, that person just walked in that I haven't seen in five years. I bet God's trying to tell me. Maybe, and maybe the person just showed up five years later. This, we can always 100% be confident that this is God's will. And this is really what we're called to be working on. This is where we put our time into, to learning this instead of trying to discover something out there. In fact, I would say it this way, and just hear me. God's will is less about prayer and more about knowledge. 
It's already here. I don't need to pray to get more of it. It's here. And in fact, sometimes it's really specific. Do you know there are times where God says it this way? Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will. You don't have to pray about that. You don't have to get into a circumstance and go, well, God, do you want me to give thanks or not? It's really clear. There's a time where he says, sexual, don't be sexually immoral, for this is God's will. Just don't do it. Like there's no, you don't have to pray, well, what about my situation? No, not in your situation. There are no situations. It's really clear. There's all these places where God is saying, live like this, do this, treat people like this. And they're not things we have to pray about, they're things we have to live. Here's the, the image that's in my mind. So you probably all are aware and if you are not aware by this point, I will let you in on the secret. There's a giant eclipse coming. <laughs> hey, tomorrow, and I think it's between 105 and 115 or something like that in Frisco. I mean, giant. It's been 38 years since it's been this big. Hey, this is huge. Everybody knows about it. And something I don't get, you know the little like, glasses that you can get that are like, made out of paper, you know, and they've run out of them. There's not enough. They've had 38 years to prepare for this and... But this, this eclipse is coming, and, and here's the, 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 we aren't going to get to see it here, the, the totality of it. We're going to get to see a beautiful, amazing thing. But there's like this 70-mile wide pathway. You know, it starts up in Oregon and goes to South Carolina. I mean, going across the United States where you can see the totality of it. And here's the totality. The sun, the moon completely blocking it out, and then us being able to go, Wow! There's one place where it's supposed to last two minutes and 40 seconds. But for us, what we're gonna see is part of it blocked out. We're gonna see a section of it blocked out. That is the way I feel like we treat the will of God. We are essentially content with a portion of it being blocked out. Now, if you took it like this, imagine that the sun is your life and the moon is God's will. If I look at your life, what God wants, what the king wants, is it totally filled? And yet, we're over here in Texas, and we're like, no, that's not bad. I mean, I did this right, and I did this right, and then I moaned and griped about this thing over here, and I don't care about that, and then I talked about this person back over here, and then I did this bad thing over here, and then I cheated this person over here, but I'm praying about which job to take. Tell me that's not our lives. We have a portion of the will of God that we do, and then we have all this other stuff that we're like, no, it's beautiful enough. I'm not worried about the totality. He wants the totality. He wants all of it. He wants our lives to be completely covered by his will, right? This will right here. Now, there's a reason that I said the love is so significant. Let me tell you some things about the will of God for our lives. There's a point where Peter says in his epistle in chapter three that it is the will of God at times that Christians suffer. Plain and simple. 
it is the will of God that you will suffer sometimes. How do you suffer without, and, and forgive me here, bitching and moaning and revolting and, and just telling God I gotta get out of this and if you don't think he absolutely loves you? How do you go through that in his will? See, here's the difference. When I can do it out of love, God can use those things to mature my faith. But when I'm not trusting him, and all I care about is getting out, and why would he do this, and I hate this person over here, and this blah, 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 all these things, we can't mature through that. We get bitter through that. We start disliking people through that. We start doubting God through that. When Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me, how do you do that without having confidence in his love? Because you know what that will become? Nothing more than a duty. It'll become legalism. It'll just become, I just gotta do this. How much joy is in that? We've got to be anchored in the love because that trust is what allows us to go for my daughter in the midst of a storm to come down and to get into my arms, which she's like as tall as my wife now, and so that's hard to do, but she like gets into my arms and she's like, and there's some amount of safety and security there, even though she's well aware I can't stop the storm, it's still going, it's not perfect. She's not just, okay, whew, everything's good, but something happens in her because she knows how much I love her and there's some protection there. We have to work out of his love or the rest will not follow in the right way. But he calls us to live his will, live the king's will every day of every week of every year of our life to live his will. It reminded me of, um, everybody seen the Karate Kid? And when he first starts the training, he actually doesn't complain in the beginning because he's seen Miyagi do something. He's seen some of his moves and so there's a, like a trust that is there initially. And so when he starts having him do those weird, you know, wax on, wax off and go paint my house and go wax, you know, it's, at first he does it. And then there's a point where Miyagi's walking back and he's got his fishing pole and that's when he loses it. And he's like, where have you been? I went fishing. Why didn't you take me? You weren't here when I left. Why didn't you think I wanna go? Well, you're training. And then he goes off. And I was, I was shocked actually when I read some of the words that are in there. Um, things have changed. Like in the last 10 years, the, the, it, yeah, this movie's got a lot of language that I couldn't repeat the dialogue in here. But he goes off. Because at that point, he has not developed what he will develop later in the movie. Later in the movie, he will say to Miyagi, you are, I think it's my closest friend or something like that. When that happens, the trust level grows. Because then when Miyagi says, go do something, and he's like, I don't get it, but I get you. So I can trust you through it. I know you care for me. I know you're not just having me wash your car anymore. That's what God is going for in our lives. Believe the king's love. Live the king's will. But for a purpose. Right? And this is key. Can I tell you unequivocally Jesus Christ did not die 
to form church clubs. He didn't. He did not die to form small groups. He didn't die to form a bunch of groups that could fight about who has it right and who has it wrong. And he certainly didn't die to form a group of people who would look down on everybody else because we got it right. I want to read you, and I could, I could give you, I mean, just passage after passage after passage of this kind of thing. Um, but I just want to give you one, one place where we get a very specific statement. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. That's everything we've been talking about. That's living the king's will. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, to redeem us. He gave himself to redeem us for. Um, redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Who are zealous to do something. Not just get saved. It's not that, that um, security that we're going to go to heaven kind of thing. You know, I've got insurance and I'm not going to hell. That was not why he did it. He did it so that we would be zealous to serve, to do good, to make a difference in the world. And you see this over and over again. We were brought into the kingdom to have fruit, not just to hang out and eat fruit, but to produce it. That's what we're called to. Here's the way we're gonna say it. Share the king's redemption. Believe the king's love. Live the king's will every day of every week of every year and share the king's redemption. And here's what I mean by redemption in this case. Start in a spectrum. Over here, salvation. The redemption of our souls. Being rescued. Being given eternal life. However, you can go all the way down this spectrum because there are so many things that can be redeemed all the way down to, what about a crappy conversation that you had with your spouse this morning? What about something you said to your kid in anger that you know you shouldn't have? Those things can be redeemed because we serve a God that is big enough to redeem it all. To begin thinking about when you serve the poor, you are trying to help redeem life. When you go to Guatemala, when you go to Preston Trace, when you talk to a neighbor who has had a really hard thing happen in their lives, and you are trying to help them redeem, to renew something, to give it more meaning, to show good out of it, that's the kind of redemption that we are called to to redeem everything, to begin asking yourself as you're going through life, how can I redeem this? How can God redeem this through me? How can the spirit act in such a way that instead of just turning away, God can actually use it to bring good into somebody else's life or into my own life? We are called to share God's redemption. I'll show you what redemption looks like. 
um, in Mozambique in 1992, they ended a war. In 1994, they signed a peace treaty. However, it's a very poor country. It's a very illiterate country. And throughout it, the one thing they had still were guns. Lots of guns, landmines. That's what they still had from the war. And they didn't want to give those up because it's the only thing that a lot of them had of value. Here's what happened. A group of churches got together and they started a program called Guns for Hoes. And if you'd bring a gun, they'd give you gardening tools so that you could do something on your land. And then another man got involved and he's become pretty famous at this point. Um, and I can't say his name, so I, I'm just not going to. But he collects the guns and he turns them into works of art. He melts them down. At one point he said, every bullet that I can melt down is one less life that might be taken. He's taking these things and he's changing them. And these sculptures have actually been put up around the land as ways of teaching people who can't read. That's redemption. It's taking something that was really hard, that caused death and hurt and struggle and left people poor and illiterate and trying to take it and transform it in such a way that beauty is actually being brought out of it. How can God use you to bring beauty out of chaos, out of ugliness, out of hurt? Will you let God do that? Will you start with his love? Because sometimes it's gonna mean right in the middle of that argument, and I'll just use his spouse, right in the middle of that argument where you are feeling like there's no way I'm giving this up because that person's wrong. You ever been there? Did you ever come to a point where you're asking yourself, how can God redeem this? And it may require that I take the first step. Even if I'm 75% right and she's 25% right, which is never the case. <laughs> it's always reversed. But can you step up and say, God, how will you use me to redeem this? Believe the king's love. Live the king's will and share the king's redemption. If we will do those things as a congregation, maybe we can just be more than another church on the corner. I mean, do you know how many folks go to church on Sunday and the other 166 hours of their week basically look nothing like God. Let's not be that. I don't want to look down on them because, golly, I'm not much different half the time. I mean, do you know how often it is that I am not suffering the way God wants me to suffer? Do you know how often it is I'm not looking to redeem situations, people, relationships? I'm ready to write things off. That's easier. I'm ready to complain and groan about things. I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that kind of person. I want living kingdom first to mean something. I want it to mean something for us, that we would stand together and be different. 
But I want to warn you, it's long-term. It's lifelong. This isn't something where we get to make the decision and then go, all right, I'm in. And then tomorrow, okay, I'm done. Because we will not have accomplished it. I promise you. Unless the Lord returns tomorrow with the eclipse, we will not accomplish it. It's a lifelong thing. Um, we took a hike. So we were in Colorado for like 12 days. It was beautiful, wonderful, like a high of 80, you know, lows of 50. It was awesome. And we took a hike. We didn't know how much this hike was. I mean, it, was, it ended up being three miles there, three miles back, and it was like 2,000 elevation change or something. I mean, it was just, it was ridiculous. And we got two little kids, and so we have to carry them half the time up the hill. And we're just going. And I mean, it's like, there are points where you're just, you're going, okay, next step, next step, and hoping. And eventually, you like, you see a rock, and you're like, I've got to sit down. And so at one point, I sat down, and like, I can barely breathe. And there's somebody coming up behind us, and, and I stepped off the path and sat down, and they're like walking by, and they're like, oh, thank you. And I'm going, oh, yeah, this is for you. <laughs> totally for you. How oh, isn't this for me? I'm not dying here. And every single time, people would come back, we'd say, so how much further? <laughs> and they're all a bunch of liars. <laughs> they're all going, oh, it's almost there. Just a few more corners. You're almost there. We take a few more corners. What was wrong with that person? We hit the next person. How much further? Oh, you were almost there. Oh, you were almost there. I mean, there's one person I just wanted to let them know how I felt. But I'm carrying a child, so I didn't. <laughs> I mean, it just kept going and going and going and going. And there was one person who actually said what was real. This person, it was actually quite a ways down, but this person were like, so, you know, is it worth it? Eh. <laughs> we're like, what? What do you mean, eh? <laughs> we got a long ways to go here. We know eh. And she's like, it's a long ways. Like, you got all these switchbacks and things. I mean, you, you, you got a long time to go. We're like, oh, I hope she's wrong. And of course, she's the one we thought was wrong. And everybody else, we're like, okay, just a little bit further. She was totally right. Well, not totally right. It wasn't, eh. It was actually beautiful. It was nice. I don't know that it was worth three miles carrying a child. But I can say this. It was a long journey. There was one person who was telling us it was a long journey. And it was hard. And even though it was hard, and that didn't let up, by the way. I mean, it was hard. It was beautiful. I mean, there were moments where you just stepped out and the vista, it was so gorgeous. You could just see for miles. Some of these trees, these giant aspen forests were just gorgeous. Um, listening to the river as you're walking along and you, you kind of go away from it a little bit and then you come back and you hear that sound. There was something so peaceful about that sound of the river just flowing. And so even though it was hard and it was long, there were all these beautiful moments as we went through it. Okay. That is a life of faith. And I am not going to tell you, as everybody told us, you're almost there. It's gonna be easy, don't worry, just a few more turns. I'm gonna be the person telling you, it's your whole life. Like there's so many more switchbacks to go and there's, there's gonna be uphills. You're gonna have some plateaus too. 
But here's what also I can tell you. Even though it is a lifelong, hard journey, there's so much beauty. There's gonna be those moments where somebody says just the right word to you and it breaks your heart and it's what you needed. There's gonna be that moment where you're just, you're feeling awful and, and, and God just overwhelms you. There's gonna be that moment when your child does something and you're like, oh, thank you, God. There's gonna be miracles like the ones sitting right here in our congregation. There's going to be these moments where God is gonna go, yes, keep going. There's all this beauty right in the midst of the struggle. But I can guarantee you it's gonna be harder to see the beauty if you can't get above the struggle by knowing that you are loved. Because the struggle is gonna pull you down so far that it's gonna be really hard to see the beauty. Church, you are loved by the king. That's why he gave his life. That's why the father sent him. You are loved by the king. And his will, his will is not something you have to go search for. You don't have to go look for it. It's, it's right here. It's within our reach. One of the reasons we read the scriptures is to know his will. And we got a job. In fact, we have something beautiful to do. God wants to use us to bring redemption. God wants to use us to share his life with other people, both within our circle and outside of our circle. And so we can, as a church, live kingdom first every day of every week of every year for the rest of our lives as we believe the king's love, live the king's will, and have the joy of sharing the king's redemption. Will you join me in doing this? Over the next few months, we're gonna start introducing ways that we're gonna do it as a church. New things to, to come in to help us, to equip us, to encourage us, to live kingdom first. Let's do it together. Pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your love, for your Son, for your Spirit, that you would give your Son for us to show us how much you love us. What more could a parent give? And that you would give us your Spirit to indwell us and to help us live kingdom first every day of every week of every year of our lives. Lord, let us do it together. Let us encourage one another that we might live this life together and we might do it for the sake and the good of those around us and for your honor and glory in Christ's holy name, amen.